Hello everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson here, and today we're going to be talking with a company called Gold Core. Now, why are we doing that? Hey, at, as you may know, uh, from time to time at Peak Prosperity, we, me, uh, we recommend certain companies whose products or services we especially like or we value. Now, we always do our due diligence, we ask questions, we kick the tires, and um, well, as you may know, I've been a hard assets kind of guy for a long time. My first large silver purchase was in 2001 at about $4.53 an ounce. Yes, I remember. Gold was in that same year was uh, 301.50-ish, and I mentioned the 50 cents because this is back in the day when a, a 50 cent move in the price of gold was sometimes a big deal. Now, today, I want, you, I want to introduce you to Gold Core. This is a company offering gold and silver for direct delivery or secure storage in numerous high security vaults around the world. We've entered into a affiliate relationship with Goldcore, meaning we will be compensated for any business we send their way, but that in no way will cost you the client a single penny more. And I'm doing this because I happen to believe in this company. Now, most importantly, because I don't really actually believe in companies, but instead I believe in people, I want to introduce everyone to Stephen Flood, the CEO of Goldcore. He's been a great guy to get to know. And hey, we're going to begin a long relationship with Stephen here today. So Stephen, welcome to the program. That's so great to be here, Chris. Thank you for having me on. So uh, I, I just want to introduce all our people to Goldcore because uh, we've just recently found out about you and we've been doing our due diligence. We've gotten to know each other. I've been very impressed so far. So I really want to make sure people know who you are. They're just Give us the history. How did Goldcore get started and, and what's your role there? So we're based in Dublin, Ireland, and we were established in 2003 uh, by my um, previous partner, Mark O'Byrne. Um, myself mm -hmm. and Mark went to school uh, together in, in Ireland. We grew up in Ireland. And uh, while I was uh, working in Wall Street for uh, a few banks there, um, Mark and I were in contact about the gold market and his wish to set up a bullion business. And it was um, one of the first bullion businesses to be set up in Ireland. And back then uh, in Ireland at that time, uh, our property market was really increasing at a rapid rate. And he was very concerned about what the systemic risk event that could come would do to many people's um, investments. So he felt he wanted to get ahead of that curve. And he thought gold was a great safe haven uh, asset to have when the, when the wheels came off the, the economic bus. Uh, so I helped him when he was setting up, and then when I returned to Ireland with my new wife, uh, we uh, I was interested in setting up uh, in a, getting into a, into a financial services business, and I had wasn't particularly interested in gold per se, uh, but he had started this business and it started getting some traction, and uh, he was running it out of his apartment, and um, so I got involved and we uh, joined fifty fifty, um, and that was a few months after he started in two thousand three, and we ran it that way uh, and grew the business from there, kind of. Uh, to become the the largest bullion dealer in Ireland uh, and one of the largest in the UK, um, and uh, a two just over two years ago, Mark uh, sold out his his percentage of the company, uh, leaving me in control, um, and um, we we've grown ever since. Uh, but it was it was a, a great start, great relationship. Um, he's always had a great eye on economic history. I would be more on the trading and uh, systems and IT side uh, and uh, marketing. So um, it was a great partnership uh, while we were in business together. So I want to take you through one part of that because <clears throat> one of the things I do when I'm doing my due diligence is I always I sign up and I use the service. Uh, so I have to say that, that your, your back end, your technology, that I've been through a lot of sign up processes. Uh, I was really impressed. 
uh, it, it's very sophisticated, very smooth. In particular, I was just real. I don't even know what had to have happened, but for me to be able to submit my photo ID and the passport and to have that authenticated within, mm -hmm. it's felt like seconds. I've had that take days with other companies. So I was really impressed. I, I you don't have to disclose secrets, but I, I know there's some hefty back end going on there. Um, so kudos on that. Well, we we try to make it as easy as possible. That's kind of what you call user experience design and, and, and low latency. So we don't ask any questions that are not absolutely critical to the sign up process. We try to make mm -hmm. it a one pager. Um, and we, I tested it on my children. Uh, you know, I remember, I think yeah, my, my son was 13 years old and I get tested on him. I tested on my mother, um, yeah. and, uh, and got her to sign up. So I knew she, I knew it was easy for people who weren't acquainted with technology to be able to sign up and yeah, it's great. And people enjoy the platform and, um, and we're, we're, we put a lot of effort and a lot of technology, a lot of investment in, into that process to make it as easy as possible. And great. So, uh, what, what can people do on your platform? Gold, silver? Yeah, so you do, you do the, the main precious metals, gold, silver, and platinum. Um, you can choose products, uh, various different coins and bars. Then you can choose for delivery, or you can choose to have the, the products stored in various different vaults around the world. Um, you can do a P&L, uh, profit and loss. It's 24-7, so you can see exactly where you are, where your position is. Um, you can then look at your assets and see the serial numbers of the assets that you have stored with us where, where applicable. Um, so you might have kilo bars, let's say, in Zurich. Um, and then you open up another window, we give you the credentials and you can log into the vaulting company's system independently of Goldcore um, and actually look at their records as to what is stored under your account number uh, in that location. So you can see their, their serial number, the serial numbers of your bars stored on their system and you can compare it real time to what's on Goldcore. So it's a real time 24 seven audit uh, and you're literally, you're looking into the vault itself, the system um, from the vault provider. Uh, and what's great about that is they don't buy and sell precious metals. They just store uh, precious metals, paintings, diamonds, currency for banks and different things like that, uh, high value items in those vaults all around the world. So we have, uh, I think it's 11 vaults around the world now at this stage, and we're adding more all the time. And what's really important is, is that the assets that you you own, you own uh, with Goldcore, where we're the custodian, uh, they're held on a segregated, allocated basis. So they're bars mm -hmm. on a shelf separated from everybody else's bars and coins uh, and they gather dust right there in that location until you say otherwise so it's really important that that the the client is they're not part of a pool per se um they are uh, ready to go out the door should you decide that you want to have them sold or shipped or delivered to you um and that's really really important and i think in in the way the world's going today um it's it's never been more important and that's what our platform does you can also add actually your other um, investments. This is an, an old piece of functionality which we're going to update soon. And that is to say, if you have assets with other reputable bullion dealers, you can actually add them in uh, onto the platform and actually do a P&L. So you say, I bought X, um, X bars on a certain date and this is the value. We'll price that in today and you can actually show that on your P&L report uh, as well. So it's, it's kind of cool. Oh, that's in. Yeah, that would be cool. So take me through the process. So let's say I have one of these kilo bars in Switzerland. Uh, I'd rather have yeah. it somewhere else or in my hot little hands how does that work actually well essentially you um you should probably tell us in advance that you want to have it in your hands because then we can actually source the metal closer to where you are physically in the world mm -hmm. um and make it cheaper for you but uh at any in it wherever their bullion is stored it's it's available to be shipped out the door to you at whatever cost that is so um uh, typically if you're in in the, in the united states or canada or something like that you would buy and we would ship it to you uh, and you'd have a, a, an LBMA approved refinery produced bar. So 
The LBMA stands for London Bullion Market Association, and that's the kind of de facto regulator for the global bullion production trade. Um, and we only transact in LBMA approved refinery and mint products. So it's high, high quality. Um, and you can, be, you can be assured of the resale value of those products as well. Um, but it's, it's very simple. I'd say about 60% of the time, people will actually opt to have uh, larger sums stored professionally in a vault, which is non-bank and outside of the financial system. And that's very, very important. So no matter what Lehman Brothers events are in the offing, uh, you know that your, your bullion is preserved from the, the, the risks of that. And that bullion does not exist on our balance sheet. And it does not exist on uh, the vaulting company's balance sheet either. Uh, it's only on your right. balance sheet. We're literally just holding your bullion for you. Yeah, so I guess the, the theory there is that uh, some sort of a bankruptcy proceeding uh, receivership isn't a, you don't, you don't enter into a big queue with the other folks. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. So there's no creditors of our institution who have a claim on those assets nor uh, of the vaulting company. Now, if there was uh, some sort of event happening, you probably would be delayed while the, uh, the administrative process works and goes through the courts and whatever needs to happen. But it wouldn't involve your, your bullion being um, uh, compromised in any way. Uh, the only lien on the assets is for storage fees, and that's it. Um, and there's the, you know, they're very, very moderate. Now, I mean, this is a really important uh, subject to me because, you know, one of the things I've been tracking of late for uh, my subscribers is, is what's going on with Credit Suisse, right? Like, listen, I don't know what's happening behind the closed doors, but the smoke emanating from its stock price declines is, is significant and worrying and the credit default swaps blowing out. So we know about the bail-in procedures that happened all across Europe mm -hmm. and the U.S. So I'm very, you know, I'm relieved by that part because... Nobody wants to get caught up in the bail-in procedures, uh, if at all possible, which means, you know, obviously you're an unsecured creditor when you put your money into a banking institution. This is a way to uh, evade that, if it were, as it were. Yeah, I mean, like what you're, what you're, I mean, if you go back to, you know, the founding fathers of the United States Constitution, uh, they absolutely acknowledged the importance of gold in a monetary system. And mm -hmm. what actually only learned recently, and I really only really appreciated what this means, is that when you have gold as an option for citizens, what, what you allow them to do is to vote with their money to disengage from the monetary system by converting fiat currency into bullion or, or real money. And in doing so, they affect the value of the fiat currency, but they also empower themselves and they have financial sovereignty over their money, which is after tax, it's something that they have saved and worked for and they should be able to withdraw. You actually can with you can constructively withdraw yourself from that system by owning gold uh, outside of the system uh, for systemic re reasons. And I think that's yeah. really valuable. And I hope whatever new central bank digital currencies, because I think it's going to happen anyway. It's not we even have any control over the outcome. Whatever does come forward in the next you know, 10, 20 years, um, I sincerely hope that they're wise enough to know what those founding fathers knew and they incorporate gold or and some way to withdraw from the system so people can vote um, with their actions uh, over the monetary system and therefore improve it and and the stability of it yeah we can hope but i think you and i both would yeah. lay odds on how that's actually gonna go <laughs> right yeah no limit uh, to creation optimist <laughs> Yes, so it's great. I love the hope. So there's two things I always uh, look for in a company. One, one is is you know is the technology mature? Is it there? Uh, how does it function? All of that. That's that's great. So what I did was I, I signed up um, 
through just, you know, regular front door channels. And within a couple of days, I got this wonderful call from somebody who was from your your organization asking, you know, had that gone well? And was there anything they could answer any questions? Um, so customer service, really important. And uh, what was wonderful Huge. is they didn't know who I was or, any, you know, they just called, you know, as a normal car course of business. It was just, it was very good customer service. So that's the other thing I've been testing around is because I think that it's really important. So um, you, you, when we were going back and forth, you, you told me an anecdote about uh, you manage lightly, but you put one thing out in your company. One, there's one thing you track with all due rigor and make sure everybody's watching it all the time. And it's the reviews. Can you take us through that thought process? Yeah. So in 2012, um, we instituted a new policy here whereby every single order that a client places is invited to give us a review and they have to give out of star stars out of five and a comment. And in the invitation to review, we actively ask for good and bad comments, stating that good is great. We love it, but bad we learn from. So if we're not really living up to your expectations, please tell us. Um, and it's unbelievable the effect it had on the whole team. Um, it was like having like the best manager ever because the clients became the managers. And um, as a team, we review those 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 uh, reviews every month. It's part of our all hands meeting. Um, I pick out my favorite one and I share it with the team as well. We talk about it and I tell them, you know, and I don't tell them I'm really proud. Uh, in, since 2012, which is 10 years, we have over 3,000, I think 3,100 active reviews. And we are 4.9 out of five stars, um, mm. which is unbelievable. And I think it probably means that we're, we're prob our team is probably the best in the business, or at least very, very close. That point one basically comes from when um, a, a delivery driver doesn't leave the, 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 the deliveries where they should be. Uh, and we can't really control for that all the time. We do our best, um, but we're very client-centric. We don't ex engage in any sharp practices. Um, we, we, if we don't think it's a fit, the, 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 the deal that's been discussed by the client, we will tell them right off. If we think they're, they're not looking at, they're not asking the right questions or they're, they're being, um, probably being misguided. Um, we're, we're all over that and we make sure that where there's a fit and, uh, and, and we want that happy client relationship because typically most of our business comes from clients referring their friends and family. Uh, and you know, that, that's what we want. Fantastic. I mean, I love that cause I, I'm all about it's client relations is, is everything, but um, it's more than that. For me, it's kind of foundational, which is that I'm in this business to help people. And I truly believe, yeah. I might be wrong, but I'm not confused. I truly believe that people need to have access to non-fiat wealth. And I know a lot of people are overexposed because we've been through decades. Well, you're on Wall Street, right? It's a sales machine. I think the Wolf yeah. of Wall Street nailed it, you know? It's all about making yeah. sure people stay fully invested, you know, in, in the system. And of course, it, once you back up and part two of this, I want to talk about the macroeconomics. When you really look at what the central banks have been doing, particularly since mm -hmm. 2020, you go, oh gosh, people need to have some protection from this. And so to do that, I think people need good information. They need, they, you know, people are waking up They're They've never touched gold. They've never bought silver. They've never been down this process before. They need to be handled well and have to have their questions yeah. answered. So that, that was really one yeah. of the things that drew me to your company. Yeah. I mean, my, my own belief is, and it's probably not as popular amongst other dealers per se, but I think gold has a very important role in a diversified portfolio. And that's not just, not just saying that, you know, you need to have your money spread around. You need to have it in productive, uh, productively uh, allocated. Uh, but what gold does, and I don't even think you put your money in gold 
in order to get a massive return or see it to go to, you know, thousand X you, for me, and where I really see it playing its role is that when this exercise, this, this experiment in monetary economics, where they're just printing money and then now it's being allocated politically, which is, you're seeing it all over the place, both, both sides of the aisle, by the way, they're all, they're all in on this system where they, they, they give out, um, favors and nepotism and to their, to their, to their sponsors. But what you're going to see in the future is that this will be found out and the markets will correct down as, as, as the forward cash flows get valued into for today and for the realities of today. And what happens to that person, let's say one in 10 who has gold, because very few people actually have precious metals. It's quite Mm -hmm. rare, but the person who actually has that 10%, 20% or whatever they decide is a, is a good allocation. They're not all in on the system. And when the system corrects downwards, they're not going to have a panic attack. They're going to have firepower ready to pick up assets and they're not going to be uh, acting out of fear. And that ultimately is what gold's role and silver to a lesser extent. It's to calm the minds of that individual so that when their wife or their husband or whoever their primary looks at them and goes, what are we going to do? Everyone's losing their job. The system's correcting, blah, blah, blah. Um, the, the ATM machines have stopped working. Um, banks are collapsing. Um, they're going to go, you know what? We have we're, Our gold is going up in value and it's taking the sting out of the correction. Uh, we can wait a few weeks and we'll be able to actually have great opportunities to maybe pick up new investments at oversold rates. Um, and I think that's ultimately its role. It's actually, it's a calming influence on a rational investor's mind. And that's really what it does. Uh, yeah, I agree, I agree completely. I, and um, so we talk about eight forms of capital people can build financial capitals, one. and mm-hmm. But the same philosophy underpins all of it, which is that if you know this, but your actions are over here, you're going to find anxiety lives in that gap, right? So let's say you live in California, you live on top of an earthquake fault zone. You know this is a reality. You don't have anything Mm -hmm. stored up. You don't have a plan with your family in case, you know, you have no nothing. I guarantee you somewhere in your brainstem, you're going to have that anxiety because you know this, but you've only done this, right? And the only way you close that gap is you make your actions line up with what you know. And so right now, I, I see this like, if you just give me somebody like five minutes and I just can start pointing out M2 money creation in Japan, the United States, Europe, and just go, let's just, can we square this circle? Like this only makes sense if the economy is going to like explode higher. Show me the engine of that growth. Where's that come from? And then we have to talk about energy and other stuff. It's, it, there's obviously there's a gap, <laughs> a little bit of a gap. Totally. In the story. And, and, and history is laden with exactly these situations. Um, it's just, it's not like this is new. Um, I was just before this, um, podcast, I was actually reading up on some gold history. Um, back in the Roman times, uh, Diocletian was a famous emperor. Um, and he came in, I think it was, I don't know, 280 AD. So after, after the, you know, the, um, time of Christ and, uh, the Roman Republic was on its knees. Um, and they had been abusing the monetary system and, and, you know, shaving off gold and reducing and clipping and adding in additives and basically printing money. Um, and, uh, he brought in, he was very worried about the economy. So he brought in this edict of prices and basically it was price control. And he said, you can't raise your prices anymore because inflation is a problem and people are getting hungry, blah, blah, blah. And he said, if you do raise your prices, it's you, you will, you'll be, you'll, you'll suffer the death penalty. Uh, and then he started producing, giving out wheat for free. And he was feeding, I think, 20% of the million population of Rome with free food just to keep them you know, for, at bay. Mm-hmm. And what happened was is that the uh, um, 
the Roman currency, one pound of gold equals something 50,000 denarii. Um, and in 50 years, um, that actually went to 2.1 billion uh, denarii, a pound of gold. So it went up something like 42,000 times. Um, and what this story tells you is, is that you know, we've been here before, price control, massive public investment, putting people to work, building massive big public projects, uh, and the currency starts to debase and you have inflation and hyperinflation. And ultimately, the currency gets found out. And, and you, and, but gold can't be, because it's, it's steady, it can't be printed. You could put all the gold in the world into a 22 meter cube, it fits on a tennis court. There's no more gold out there. They can't produce it and print it and they can't abuse it by, as such. So by having it, you have financial security, uh, financial sovereignty. And uh, the story of Diocletian is that, you know, over 50 years, he got found out, the currency of Rome got found out too. Um, so these, these um, central bankers, these emperors of the monetary world, I mean, they are uh, unbelievable. They're not, they're not elected. Uh, they have total power. They are political. I don't care what they say. They are absolutely political. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we, the people who pay taxes uh, with our savings and our pensions, uh, are the ones who pay the price. Um, and it's, 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 it's a shocking state of affairs. It is. And, and um, I was really impressed to read that somehow the Romans, by the time of, you know, by the time that, that ultimate uh, devaluation of the denarius, it had gone from, I forget what, like 90 plus percent silver to, the, to, the, to they had figured out how to electroplate uh, lead slugs with a little thin veneer of silver, which is awesome because they didn't have electricity, right? So they'd still figured it out because yeah. the Romans were, in, were impressively clever with their engineering and, and whatnot. It's just yeah. impressive, you know? And but people yeah, I mean, it's it like out. it was like it's like their Bitcoin. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like their central <laughs> bank digital currency. They, they dressed it up, you know, but um, yeah, yeah. Very amazing, amazing people. Um, yeah, but it's it's human beings are a constant, you know, and our greed. They are. I remember reading this this. Um, uh, there was this paragraph written out um, by Will Durant and it was about Athens. So it's Greek. <clears throat> and it was prior to the time you're talking about the same thing. They had debased their currency. And by the end of it, the interesting thing about this paragraph was it didn't just sort of recount how debased the currency got. It recounted the behaviors of the people. And it sounded just like today. People weren't interested mm -hmm. in working. They were speculating. They were busy, like running scams on each other. They were just, you know, it was just all about the financialization because they were wealthy because all this currency was appearing, you know. And uh, yeah. and so it sounded exactly like today. But but again, nothing new under the sun. Right. So that behavior I think what we're witnessing today is the tail end of a big printing spree. Now, it could last a little longer, could last a few years, but we're clearly in the end game. And I think that's where the central bank digital currencies come in in this concept of a great reset, which is that mm -hmm. we, can't, we, can't, we can't make good on all the debts and promises and IOUs of, of the prior money system. And, and that's, that's just math. I think I, you and I could sit anybody down and just take them through it and they would go, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's but, true. So obviously they know that too. So the question is, you know, what are they going to do about it? History yeah. is very clear I'm, to me. You're, you're either on the, the dividing line of, of this is, is going to be called a wealth transfer. All these people are going to get wiped out. 401ks won't be worth what they're worth. Your house, th things will happen. But mm. if you have hard assets, history says you tend to preserve your wealth. And if you have all your money in the, whatever the system of money is, you know, that's where you get hurt. It's, it's, it's so interesting, but it's, what I can't get over is it's happening so fast. This is not slow. Um, and, and, you know, you say, how, how do you kill a frog? Um, you, or how do you, how do you kill a frog? 
you boil it very slowly, you know, um, you know, just turn up the heat very, very slowly and it doesn't realize what's happening. But if you look, um, uh, that was it, the, the deck clock is a great, is a great, um, app to download on your phone. Um, if you ever have a chance, uh, I think it's mm -hmm. fantastic. It's, you can just ponder it for hours, but I was looking at there recently and in the year 2000, the average median income in the United States was, uh, $32,000 a year. And uh, now, today, in 2022, 22 years later, it's 36000 So it's gone up $4,000. But the average car has gone from $22,000 to $52,000, mm -hmm. um, which is more than double. Um, and the average house has gone up from 168 to 446000 So it's more than doubled as well. So there's, a, there's a, a real impoverishment that's going on. And what's happening is they're replacing the, they're, 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 they're filling the gap with debt more and more debt and so people are becoming more and more indebted if you know or the student loans car loans you know payday loans whatever it is um there's more and more debt in the system which is financialization which is exactly what you were saying about greece and rome and it's happening now here and it's happening globally um and it's 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 yeah it's quite scary but look at where gold was in the year 2000 it was like 250 dollars an ounce and now it's at 1800 dollars an ounce has it gone up or has the currency gone down i'd argue the currency's gone down massively um yep. and uh, and gold is, is still rarely rarely even acknowledged by most people i mean people listening to this to this uh broadcast today you know if you could count you know on on two hands the amount of people that you know who own gold as an investment asset uh, i think you'd be, you'd be lucky you know well let's talk about this inflationary aspect because obviously you talked about the immiseration of the average or median you know income in the united states going from 32 to 36 while lots of other things have pretty much doubled in price um, that's immiseration, you know, your, your, your impoverishment through um, <laughs> getting poorer and poorer. But that's how the system's designed to run. Let, let's be honest, inflation is everywhere and always a regressive tax on the median yeah. and below, right? It's not, you know, yeah. they try and present it as if it happens to everybody, but it doesn't. Um, so in the EU, uh, I'm just shocked. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Christine Lagarde. I got to be honest, I'm not a yeah. fan of a lot of central bankers. I got to be honest, Paul Volcker is probably the last one I kind of admired. But um, so at any rate, I consider her to be a political animal and I'm watching what. So the they just raise interest rates. But let's say they raised them to here and inflation is here. Right. I don't yeah. see how this how this does anything but but make things worse and worse and worse over time. How do you see that? No, it doesn't. I mean, like uh, Volcker would say that you have to have your interest rate above your inflation rate in order to dampen it and eventually quell it. Um, mm -hmm. which, which is sensible, I think, you know, um, ultimately though, they are political and they know that there's so much debt in the world. The last global financial crisis, I think was 240% global debt to GDP. It's now 320 or 330%. Uh, the U S China, all these countries have absolutely enormous levels of debt and they know that, uh, they, they can't actually control inflation. They're trapped. If they put the rates where they need to be, they kill these, they create a sovereign debt crisis. And they are the, the bankers of last resort. So they know that they can't attack their own credibility without actually you know, destroying the entire system because the private sector, the banking sector are all connected now to the sovereign sector. And um, banks don't clear between themselves, they clear to the central banks. Um, that's, where, that's where they house their money, that's where they borrow money from. So it's, um, the system is on its last legs. They're trapped, they can't raise rates beyond you know, uh, you know, two or 3%. What they do is they try to jawbone the markets. They try to talk about things. They try to tell the, the common man, hey, you know, uh, we're in control. We know what we're doing. We're very, very, sh you know, sharply dressed, smart. 
well-spoken individuals trust us, uh, but the, the 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 facts don't back it up. They don't stack up, um, and it's um, it's 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 very very sad. Uh, and I think you're going to see that now more and more politically. It's going to come out. You're going to find more uh, extremism coming out into our politics globally again. Uh, and you get strong men. The last time we had such levels of inequality um, was back in the 1930s, um, where you had so much inequality in the world. And what happened then? You had a lot of strong men came out and they promised everything uh, and they reset the system, but they reset it in their own, uh, to the, to, for their own purposes. And a lot of people lost their lives. I'm not saying it's going to get that bad, but it could, and you'd be a fool to think it can't. Um, but I do think that the uh, central bankers have created this monster. They've encouraged debt, and they've done so politically, and they can't control it with interest rates. Interest rates now are, are you know, a false tool. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's unclear exactly what they can do to rescue the system uh, at this stage. Well, at least in the 30s, a lot of the wealth inequality was driven by um, Carnegie... Rockefellers, people who are producing things. Um, you yeah. know, most mostly today, the people who are the wealthiest never produce a thing. They don't touch a thing, right? So, you know, you, you look at um, Ken Griffith of Citadel, or you know, just the, the level of people who are speculating, who make money with money. That's financialization to me. You make money with money. Yeah, that's GMAC. That's Ken Griffith. It's it's all the whole the whole thing. So it's the speculating, the the financialization aspect. That's easy come, easy go. So when you talk about that that the the hideous pace with which things are unfolding now, I think welcome to the age of computers and instant communication, but also the degree to which this is literally a house of cards that I think is one giant awareness cycle away from becoming useless. I, let me put it this way. If everybody thought or knew the things that you know or that I know, I think the whole system changes overnight, right? Now, yeah. will that happen? Yeah. No. I but that dawning awareness is kind of like the inverse of how Hemingway went broke, right? You know, slowly, then all at once, right? Awareness will yeah. break kind of slowly, then all at once. And, and uh, that's how things get rolling, I think. No, I, I, it absolutely does. Um, it's, again, I, I, I watched that central bank digital currency area. Um, I wonder if the, uh, if the time of the dollar uh, hegemony is um, coming to an end. Um, because of the, the fundamental problems, uh, aging populations in the West, that's really important. Um, we can't pay for a lot of, uh, older generations. Um, the promise, the social promise we made to them that they pay their, their social security and they're still going to be taken care of. That's, that's never going to happen. Um, because of, because of the, you know, the money, money printing machines, um, and the negative yielding bond markets. I mean, that, that's a lie as well. It's been exposed. Right. Uh, but then I look at. And I, this is a far fetched, a little bit far fetched, and I don't have the data to support it. So it's more of a kind of a uh, um, just an idea I have. Um, is that I wonder will China bring out a global renminbi currency, the globally traded renminbi currency, for their international Belt and Roads Initiative that they're using and they're building, and they have it backed by large sums of gold uh, as a kind of an anchor uh, to that to that currency. And they have it based around the world or in different ways. And they then slowly introduce that as an alternative to the dollar, as an alternative to traded currency. Don't buy your oil in dollars. Buy it in this new global renminbi. It's backed by gold. It's not going to be abused. And they have it as an alternative. And they slowly move the debt markets that way, and it becomes a, becomes a, a competing factor. I don't know if it'll happen, but you know, if you were the Chinese and you want to be a, the next global superpower for the next 100 years, that's how long they last, 
um, maybe that's what they that they will do because because we do know that they're absorbing a huge amount of gold bullion through Singapore um, and and they're producing it themselves and they're importing it from Australia and uh, and you know the West aren't they're just printing money so maybe that's what's going to happen. Well, that uh, west to east flow of gold has been ongoing for gosh you know 10 12 years now and and it's pretty astonishing i wish i could get better data uh, i do track sort of the import numbers i put an asterisk i squint at them and say okay this is part of what's probably happening i don't have real i mean Stephen, it's kind of tricky to me I, honestly i can find out really sensitive things on the internet but i have a hard time really finding out who owns the gold and where is it? Right? It's just, it's yeah. so difficult. We've heard all the stories about rehypothecation and what does, what do the gold exchange traded funds really own versus think they own mm -hmm. and how many people might have claims on a single bar. Uh, it's so opaque, I don't know, but, but every time in my yeah. experience in life that I discover that something is that opaque, it means there's some kind of, there's some kind of trickery going on. So I'm pretty sure my yeah. trust in that, you know, world of, of, of paper gold is, is low, uh, much lower mm -hmm. than it ought to be, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, what's your take No, I on totally that? agree too. I, I think um, uh, the ETFs are okay if you're a speculator. You want to get in and get out. You want to play a particular move in the market. There's nothing wrong with them. They're a vehicle to get you an, an exposure. You can use other, 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 other products as well, futures and options and stuff like that. Obviously, you need to do so through regulated advisors, whatever it is. And this isn't advice, by the way, uh, mm. and, all, and all of those caveats. Um, but it's important to know that um, when investing in gold, if you're doing so as an investor and you're, you're, you're playing out the risk of systemic events, you know, a currency uh, um, dislocation, a banking collapse or whatever it might be, a sovereign debt crisis, and you're looking at your gold as a 10, 15, 20% safe haven net, you have to have physical bullion. It has to be outside the financial system and you have to have it segregated. And a lot of guys out there, a lot of dealers out there, they actually have it on the, on the shelf, but they call it allocated. But allocated means that you just have an interest in a large pool of metal. You don't know which bar is yours. You don't have a serial number. But if you have it segregated, it's actually separated out on the shelf. So you know that you have, let's say you have 100,000 to invest, you can have some in Utah, you can have some in Zurich, you can have some in Singapore. And so if something happens in Singapore, we're probably going to tell you ahead of most people what's happening because our clients are feeding in information to us all the time. You know, there are, mm -hmm. are, there are an army of, of eyeballs and they're out there looking at what's happening. They're reading the newspaper, they're testing it back through us. We then communicate that out to our, to our, to our tribe, um, to your tribe, uh, and, uh, and then we can get ahead of it. This actually happened. Um, Recently, uh, we, we had a situation in Hong Kong where we had quite a lot of assets there. Um, and we, we heard from different people, obviously, that there were a lot of protests happening. We then had a look at the insurance contracts that underpinned the holdings of gold in that marketplace. We found that you know, social discontent and social unrest were, were um, force majeure type of situations and they weren't covered by standard insurance contracts. And so what that, what that means is like a teenager with a baseball bat could come in and just say, hey, you know, I'm taking over this vault and the guys working there, they're not going to pay to take risks. They walk out the door. The gold is just walks right after them. Um, and so what we did is we went out to our clients and we said, hey, who wants to move on? We have a jet booked for tomorrow. Who wants to move their gold? And uh, I think 97% of our clients jumped on that. We moved them to Singapore. Um, now, the bullion never was compromised in Hong Kong, but the risk was there. It became material. It hit a level, a threshold where we communicated with our clients. And because they were segregated, they're not part of a on a spreadsheet somewhere, 
Um, they don't have to be, uh, you know, uh, detangled from some other list of assets uh, and moved en masse. Uh, they could just choose who wanted to go and who didn't. So 3% of our clients stayed. Uh, they, now they, they went after a few months, but um, that's how a proper system works where you have real physical gold and you're not a, a proxy owner of metal via an ETF or some sort of contract. You own that metal. I always tell clients, it's like you having your car parked in our car garage. Um, it doesn't mean we get to drive your car. It's your car. You know, it's just parked in our space and you pay for that storage space, but it's, you still own it. Uh, and that's that's where your gold should be stored and your silver as well. Well, this is a really important distinction that that um, I'm sure people need to know about, which is you know, we all heard that, you know, you don't want to be part of a pooled account, obviously, because who knows what that is. But you're saying that even if you're allocated, you can still be allocated part of a bar and then that gets tricky. And let's say you're one of the 97 percent that wants your part of the bar gone that that. That's harder, but you're talking about segregated, which is a third categorization, which is, hey, there's a shelf. It's got a number on it. That's your number that gets swept off mm -hmm. and off it goes. And that's a much easier situation, but also much clearer ownership, much, much faster resolution if you need to, say, fly it somewhere. Exactly. If you want to be winning the 97 percent or three percent of those Hong Kong investors who uh, who decided to move, um, they're empowered to do so now um, allocated pooled storage is okay for most of the time. I mean, it doesn't mean that there's, a, there's an imminent risk to you, but you have less optionality um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, segregated is going to level up from there. And it you know, typically costs more to store and operate because if you think about it, you know, in Goldcore, we have about, it's about 300 million in assets stored now. Um, and, and our storage product um, is, uh, has every single one of those clients has their own, um, their own account number. And they have their own space on the shelf and they have coins, they have eagles, they have one ounce bars, kilo bars, whatever they need. Um, and uh, they can, if they want, they can say, you know what, Goldcore, I'd like to sell my metal. And we'd say, right, this is the price. I don't like your price. Okay, fine. Okay, what do you want to do? Move my metal to another dealer. They have a better mm -hmm. price. And what happens is they, um, they're empowered as a customer. They don't have to take our price. And we know that. And we're, we're, obviously, we're very fair in our pricing. But... What the point I'm making is that the customer is always empowered. They can take their business elsewhere if they want. Um, but if you're in a, an allocated program, how do you tell a provider, hey, um, I want to sell my gold? Well, you're going to say, well, you know what? You're, you're part of a pool of gold and you own that first kilo, but not saying which one it is. And you own half of another kilo. So you have to you know, disentangle yourself from that position. So you're, you're, you're definitely uh, exposed to that system and those people who run it. Most of the, the main providers out there are very well run. They're excellent companies, but you have to look at the kind of the theoretical risk. And uh, if you want to go up the curve in terms of safety, and, and uh, I would definitely uh, I would definitely people advise them to look at segregated. Well, how quickly can, could I operate? Let's say I have one of these kilo bars of, of gold somewhere and I decide to sell it. Um, how rapidly does that happen in, in your network? Straight away, yeah, yeah, straight away. I mean, as, as fast as you can go on our site and hit sell. Um, now, we're not open 24-7, um, but we're, for, for the hours that we are open, which is most of the hours, uh, most trading hours in the day, um, you can sell it online right away, and, um, and we give you a price and it's locked in. And then you, 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 we typically say, you know, you can ask, you know, two to five days for the money to hit your account. Um, but typically, mm -hmm. it's within a day, a day or so, the money will hit your account. It's highly liquid. Uh, we're plugged into all of the main uh, LBMA refineries and mints, 
So we're part of a network of dealers as well, and there's an awful lot of liquidity in the world. Um, but I think you should you should probably uh, we're not a trading venue day to day for people to take speculative positions. So you wouldn't be buying mm -hmm. in the morning and selling in the evening time. Um, but you're you're buying a physical asset, and it's expensive in terms of you're paying a premium to, and that premium basically um, uh, absorbs the cost of production of that physical bar. So as mm -hmm. opposed to an ETF where you can you can buy it much much cheap more cheaply, but you're just paying for a registration in a vehicle which states that it has an asset as its core, but you don't have actual um, claim on that particular asset in most cases. So it's a it's a it's a very difficult diff, a different proposition. So, but if you have a kilo bar, yeah, absolutely. We um, our fastest settlement time for a purchase uh, is uh, two hours and fifteen minutes, where we had shell um, bars on the shelf and serial numbers updated on our system for the client's account, and also on the vaulting company system too, where our client was able to log in and uh, confirm that his his assets were there. Now that is not the standard I want to telegraph to people because mm -hmm. that's that was a, a record we ever did typically you 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 it, it can take anywhere from two to five days for um assets to settle uh in in normal markets um but that's it is very fast very liquid and selling is very easy great all right thanks for that um so I, i'm dying to know what you think about this because i don't know what to think about it yet but um japan just ended what looks to be several decades of yield cold yield curve control, right? So they said, uh, we can't manage keeping 0.25% on the 10-year um, Japanese government bond. We're going to hike that to 0.5%. Big, big, big move is how I see it. But I, I, how, how should I be thinking about this? How should people be considering this? Is this really a change of a multi-decade? Did they throw the towel in? What, what just happened? Well, I think, I, I mean, I, it's, it's an evolving story at the moment. And we were discussing it just, just the other day, but I think the yield on their bonds went from like two point something to 4.5, like overnight immediately, which is an enormous change. Um, and I think they are, uh, they're engaging in yield curve control, but on the long side of the curve is what I, my understanding is, which is quite unusual. Usually it's more short dated bonds that they buy and sell and they control the yield and the price. Um, it's, it, well, the, other, the other very unusual thing about that, if I recall, is that they did so ahead of a change in the management of the Bank of Japan. Um, and they typically did mm. go quiet beforehand, as you would do when you're passing over the mantle to, some, to a new management uh, team. But they actually went in and they actually changed this in advance. So I suspect there might, some, there might be some politics at play here. Um, mm. um, it's, 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 I don't know what way it'll go. But for me... All of this yield curve control, yield curve control is just like it was in the time of the Romans when they're doing, they're controlling prices of their own debt so they can suit themselves. Um, you know, there there is there are no free markets anymore in the in the traditional capital markets. They are all manipulated. They are all controlled. Uh, that is the no, that's the norm now. Um, so and and now they force domestic banks and investment firms to buy uh, sovereign debt um, of the domestic government. Um, so th these this is our money it's been forced we don't there's no price discovery anymore and what's really shocking about that is if you don't have price discovery in the bond market you have no way of actually testing the uh the potential and the quality of the political class in charge so you could have the finance minister promising everybody everything and making himself very very popular um and doing so with printed money and the bonds just are, are just telegraphing to people that everything is normal, don't worry, there's no panic here, mm -hmm. move along. 
Whereas in reality, if you had an open market, those yields would be going crazy sky high. There'd be a massive risk premium on them. And that guy would be found out uh, or that lady would be found out as being a charlatan. And the bond market had an enormously important role in the past in all our economies to, to, to shine a light on, uh, on incompetence in the financial management of our economies. And we've been denied this because of this um, Greenspan level mm -hmm. of manipulation and management of our, of our debt markets. And that was the most important market of all, the debt markets. And that's where you could comparatively measure how good an economy was at managing its affairs. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, I didn't know about the, the change in management. That's, that's possible as an explanatory function. You know, sometimes new management says, hey, uh, let, let's throw the kitchen sink into this, you know, horrible report. You know, let's get that out the door now because I don't want to have to manage yeah. that, um, you know, as part of my tenure. So that, that's a possibility. But it's, um, to me, Japan is going to be, it's a very fascinating Petri dish for this whole thing. First, it's a very insular island. They, they tend to, you know, not allow a lot of, immigration so it is what it is they have an aging population so they've got this demographic bomb that that puts anything else going in the u.s to shame um you know at current rates i think they're going to be at a third of their current population by 2100 right so so somewhere in there you know and they crested in 2008 so they are already have fewer people in general but they also have a higher proportion of non-working age people who've aged out and the debts are just exploding so the debt per productive capita if if i can put it that way is just like yeah. exponential. And it's again, one of those yeah. math problems, you just look at this and you go, obviously this can't continue. Yeah. And we all know that. So I'm always wondering when that yeah. moment of recognition is when, you know, it's like almost like we're playing musical chairs. Like, I'm just wondering, did the music just stop? Like, how come other people don't see this? But apparently it didn't, you know, the bonds are still trading and the end didn't do anything super crazy. And so people are still willing to play the game, but, um, I guess my message to anybody listening is you don't know when, when that dog whistle is going to blow, when the music stops, right? But yeah. when that does yeah. happen, my concern is that the big money, they're the elephants. They do what they need to do to protect themselves. The retail people get trampled. And, and one of the reasons I'm attracted to Goldcore, it's big, is, is that potentially gives people access to flow of product of gold and silver, both selling and buying, during a moment when I think the shops will be cleared out. Um, you know, mm. there'll be, there'll be nothing for sale. So is that, is that possible? Yeah. True. Yeah. We have a lot of, a lot of our U S clients, um, they come to us because of, um, we're kind of liquidity specialists in our various markets that we're operating in. So we're active in North America, obviously, but we're also active, very active in Switzerland. Um, and, 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 and less so in Switzerland, in, in Singapore. Um, but what we, what we can do is we can direct people to where the most liquidity is and where it's, uh, it can be gotten at a fair price. Um, so it's not about just taking whatever we have. It's also about working with the client and trying to find the best place for that. Um, but I think diversification is really, really important. Just on your, on your point about the, uh, where it's going to go with the, the Bank of Japan and, 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 and Japan in general, mm -hmm. I think there's, there's been a huge move into, into metals from central banks since 2016. Um, and uh, the, 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 the amount of metal now that's been stored uh, is, I think it's an all-time recent high. And if you look at all the ETFs and, and known reserves stored, um, and the big, big story for me in the last two years, um, and in particular coming out of the Ukrainian crises, is the financialization, the weaponization of the dollar and the payment systems around the world. And every central banker worth their salt is now looking at their dollar exposure, not so much from a monetary level, but from a political and a kind of geopolitical risk perspective. 
And so they have to now re-engage with their local currencies that they trade in. Um, and they also need to look at how they back their currencies up and where gold and how important gold is in terms of, you know, uh, um, a, a, a form of money and currency of last resort. Um, so I do think that the, the argument for gold has never been stronger given the weaponization of the dollar and the euro and the pound um, and, uh, and the importance of having gold in the, you know, backing up. So what does the Bank of Japan you know what does what do do you know do other countries like South Africa or you know um, Israel or wherever you Brazil they all look at gold now as being far more important uh, as a as a reserve uh, to underpin whatever is coming next uh, down the road and I think that's that's that that's that's going to really really drive gold prices into the future. Oh, I would agree. And um, speaking of Switzerland, I mean, I've always been impressed with how the Swiss National Bank has been operating as a is a leveraged long only uh, U.S. equity fund, you know, because they were buying lots of things like Apple and Amazon and all kinds of things, which I haven't seen the latest report, but I'm pretty sure their Q2, Q3 report would be pretty heinous. And the way I understand the Swiss system is actually the people are on the hook for whatever losses maybe uh, have come from that ridiculous strategy. So maybe the Swiss will regain their their stayed, you know, let, let's, let's be solid and, and not crazy about this stuff approach we'll see but um i'm sure there's there's some shockwaves around that at this point i think they they i think i saw a headline i could be completely wrong but they they've lost they've lost a fortune on a mark to market basis of these holdings they've been being they've been absolutely wiped out uh not absolutely wiped out but like their their holdings and equities have been severely cut 60 70% so yeah i mean it's it's ridiculous like why on earth would the central bank need to own equities that's completely bonkers uh, I yeah. don't know what planet these people are on. I, don't, I can't believe they're even in Switzerland. The Swiss people even stand for this. Um, there's a, there's a, they're definitely rogue in terms of uh, their, their investment outlook. Yep, yep. So uh, this is why I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of taking control of what you can. Control what you can. I can't control yeah. central bank digital currencies, printing. I can't do anything about that. But I can yeah. um, take some of my assets out of that system. And, and so that that's... You know, there's an old saying in Texan in the Texas uh, poker community, which is, if you've been at the table 30 minutes and you don't know who the sucker is, it's you, <laughs> right? And, and I don't, I can't tell what's going on out there. I can't read J.P. Morgan's financial statements; they're this thick. I don't even know what's going on with some of the gold ETFs. You know, they got you know prospectuses that are this thick. I can't make sense of central bank you know holdings because they won't tell me, right? They only tell me that their gold has been on lease, so I don't actually know who owns what. So I feel like the sucker if I play that game. So so just hard assets in your hot little hands or fully uh, segregated accounts is the, is clearly an important strategy. And I wish more people were taking advantage of it. Um, but per, perhaps that's what what this next year and and our growing relationship is about. I just want to educate people and I want them to be safe. I want them to not yeah be run over by accident on a very dangerous highway. Yeah, I think. If- Financialization has just been unbelievable since the 80s in particular. Um, it's such a big part of our the modern Western economy now. I think it's like 40% or something of, of GDP can be tracked back to you know some sort of form of financialization. Don't quote me on that, but I think I read that somewhere. That's about but, right. That's um, what I read, yeah. But, the, but the, the key is is that a lot of these kind of people are going to go, well, it's regulated, so therefore it's okay. And they, they, they then say they don't have any more... Uh, role in understanding the investment. It's like, well, if it's a ticker and it's on my trading platform, I trust it. It must be okay. Well, in reality, what's happening is, is that, the, that these things are being pumped and promoted relentlessly into society. 
the assets and liabilities are uh, within the system are ten, you know, are, are divorced from each other. So the the asset might be sitting there on a on a listed stock market uh, exchange, but the the liabilities might be some in some offshore jurisdiction hidden away from from prying eyes, mm-hmm. and you just don't know where where it begins and ends. And it's hard to have faith in you know the the um, the financial uh, auditing process. I mean, when's the last time you 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 heard an auditor being being um, uh, brought to book for um, passing off on you know a major company as being fit and proper. I mean, the, there there doesn't seem to be any kind of checks and balances in the the auditing profession, which there therefore underpins a, a lack of faith that you can have in the regulated investments. And in in some countries, like in Ireland, they've actually tried they've attacked um, non regulated investments and 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 are forcing investors only to invest in regulated assets. Um, and regulated funds, um, which I think is awful because unregulated assets uh, uh, have actually performed very, very well, and in many cases, much better than regulated assets. And they don't have anywhere near the same kind of cost basis and cost to carry that you find in, uh, in, in heavily regulated investments too. So there's a huge amount of, of, the, of um, the benefit of owning companies accrues to the promoters uh, and is caught, is lost to the regulate, regulatory in, uh, industry, and it is an industry where they just make huge amounts of money, um, uh, and and they're protected markets where not you know, not anyone can just can can go in there and open up a company. You have to be well funded. Um, so I think the, uh, the 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 financialization of the regulated markets and the cost of such um, and the lack of clarity and visibility means that they're um, they're nowhere near as safe as people might think and have been led to think yeah. uh, since yeah, since nineteen eighty. You mean like the regulated markets, like if I go and I say, oh, look, these, this debt has been, has been rated by Standard and Poor's or Moody's, <laughs> and you go to their website and they say, these are just opinions. You shouldn't really hold us. Like, these don't actually count for anything, <laughs> right? Yeah. Ever since 2008, they had to admit, our, our views, they're just opinions. They don't count. Like, don't, don't count yeah. on us, right? They tell you straight up, like, yeah. these are our yeah. opinions useless and worthless. We take money from these people. And we're going to say whatever we need to say to keep the business is how I interpret that statement, right? Just it's totally true. So what what are you getting paid for? I mean, if you look at the prospectus of commodity-backed ETFs um, and you look at them, everybody's indemnified. Nobody has any responsibility. If anything goes wrong, you know you're on the hook, investor. So why are you paying your fees? What exactly is that for? Let me see the insurance contract. Let me go and visit um, the asset that you you say you hold. No, no, you can't mm-hmm. do that. Um, it's it's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I think der- yeah. there's a lot of derivatives behind a lot of these positions out there in regulated markets uh, that are propping them up, and it's kind of their notional values as opposed to any real value in the background. Yeah, and again, that's one of those. Um, I'm the sucker at the table because I don't understand the derivatives market. I've studied it like crazy, and I still don't know what's happening. Right. Um, so the BIS just came out and said, oh, you know, there's about 81 trillion dollars of off balance sheet swaps. Okay, fine. You know, but what does that really mean? Who's holding the swaps? What's their actual value at risk exposure versus the notional value? I don't know. I, cu- I couldn't possibly unravel yeah. that. Um, so again, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that the UK pension scheme got caught out for about a trillion and a half dollars of duration risk because they were busy, you know, doing leverage bets on the long end of the of the bond curve just so they could make their financial nut to to pay off their pensioners, and that yeah. just almost blew up, right? So yeah. Yeah, you know, you can you can feel the shakes in the car, right? You know, there's just something wrong with the steering, and we're on a windy road. Is kind of how I feel about that. You know, they tamp them I, all I down. And 
it, it's it's like um I always love the analogy of a of a forest where I mean it's really important that you have a natural economic cycle that doesn't get interfered with. Yes. You know, not I'm not saying huge boom, huge bust, but if you have normal economic, you have small recessions, small small um, boom periods. Um, you you tend to find what you find is that the the dead wood gets found out, capital gets reallocated, human capital, financial capital it gets found out and people mm -hmm. make better investment decisions. Institutional memory builds, it gets passed from generation to the next, and we all we all go on about our business. But if you have a, a, a politically motivated central bank that macro, micromanages every interest rate move, telegraphs, they 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 manage the economy from the from mm -hmm. the PR person who's on stage. And they don't allow the economy to naturally adjust to these boom bust cycles. Uh, what happens is you get like deadwood building up on the forest floor, and you get a, you know multiple years of it. And then when a, when a spark comes along, you have such a fire of such intensity that it destroys uh, the, the 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 soil and, and and all of the seedlings and everything that there. And the forest is completely gone, and it doesn't actually regrow back. And that's exactly what happens in the economy. You get systemic damage. Um, and then you have to write the new rules and kind of make your own new reality. Um, and, uh, and I think that's what we have now. It's because these people, these people are uh, monsters in terms of what they've done and how they've micromanaged for political purposes. And I don't know what this forest fire that's coming is going to look like. Um, I just hope that we all get through it in some way. Uh, me, me too. And, and that's a larger story that we talk about all the time with respect to resilience. But I, I think mm -hmm. about it this way. So on the one hand, there's really only two paths. One, we settle up these monstrous inequalities that have built up through everything through a process of austerity. Well, we all know how popular that is with politicized political groups, they hate austerity. Or you try and print your way out of it because you can kick that can a little longer. I don't know about you, but I wait this one much more likely, you know, so I, I'm expecting a lot more printing to come soon. Um, I think everybody is, and, and if that happens, we get to the we get to the final stage of this, which is uh, Ludwig von Mises said, you know, there's there's no there's no means of avoiding collapse of a, of a credit expansion. You either voluntarily abandon it. That's austerity or you mm. face a collapse of the mm. currency system involved, mangling it a little mm. bit. But that's the essence of that statement. So I'm an Austrian when it comes to, to that position right there, because it's just math. It's just very yeah. logical, <laughs> common sense, like either you stop yeah. it on your own terms, which is painful, or it burns, which is painful. You know, yeah. you pick. Yeah. yeah it's yeah it's um i would agree with you completely um it, it's only a matter of time um i think i think you need to have tangible assets um the big best thing you can invest in is your education and and your resilience and what nasim talib called anti-fragility you know mm -hmm. um you can become strong through adversity um you need to keep good counsel you need to read and and be and, and in, in, invest in your education and that of your family and your community uh, and be an activist in that regard you know because it matters you know, can't just sit there with your opinions you got to go out there and change the world if you can and and do and 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 t show people by doing what you do um it's really really important um it is but it i is hope i hope i hope they can navigate through Oh, me, me too, and I, this is a perfect way to, to end this. Let's close it right back to the beginning where you said, hey, one of the reasons that it's really good to have gold, say 10, 15%, by the way, I have an irresponsible percentage, so I won't even go there, but um, part of the reason that you do that is because when this corrective process begins, it's your anchor and you have that emotional stability to not be tunnel vision, freaking out, panicking. Um, you can be there in a position to actually do good and, and do well in, in that position compared yeah. to somebody who's 
completely exposed and doesn't have that anchor. So that's the emotional resilience. To me, that's one of the most important things. People say, God, Chris, all that stuff you know about, how do you sleep well at night? At least part of that is due to the fact that I know that I, I have my anchor, right? I have, mm-hmm. um, if I was completely exposed to the system, Stephen, I would, I would actually, I don't think I would sleep well. I value no, my sleep. No. So that's one of the, like the, the top reasons that, that I continue to hold what I hold. Good sleep. Yeah, it's so true. I, I think like everybody can become stressed and, and um, depressed about things. I think stress comes from having a problem, but not having any plan. Uh, you know, even a moderately mm-hmm. okay or bad plan is better. You have to have some sort of plan. Uh, to, and when you do, your stress levels will reduce. At least you're doing something. And then you can improve that plan over time by by iteration and and, and education, um, but that's what gold is. Absolutely, it's 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 a plan. Um, who knows how this thing's going to unfold? Uh, nobody can see that that you know that that complicated um, outlook. Um, but I do think having gold and silver um, is 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 got to be a part of it. it. It is that financial sovereignty. Um, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to bring this wonderful conversation to a close. We've been talking with Stephen Flood, CEO of Goldcore. We've got links down below, so so check them out. Uh, I really have been very impressed with them, and, and we're going to keep getting to know them as time goes on. So, Stephen, thank you for this, and, and I'm looking forward to many more conversations because um, we just got to try and make sense of all this. But most importantly, take action because, as you just said brilliantly there, uh, any plan is better than no plan. Uh, so I just want people to take action and thank you for doing what you're doing to educate and help people protect themselves. It, uh, it's, we're, we're so honored, absolutely incredibly honored to be associated with you now and, and what you do. You're such a fantastic educator. I think you've liberated so many people from you know, the system and this, this trap that is. Uh, and I, I, yeah, we're, just, we're, we're so delighted to be here. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, thank you, thank you very much. Well, thank you. Mutual admiration. So, so uh, great company. Love how you how you operate. So, yeah. Here's to many more conversations. Again, thanks, and um, absolutely. Talk to you soon. I hope. 